section in 1 Corinthians. And we're just going to see, what, Lord, what, what do you want to tell us um, about 1 Corinthians? And, um, and, and I, I just I thought, man, why 1 Corinthians? Why, why start here? Well, there's, there's all kinds of reasons. First of all, just taking a book of the Bible and walking through it, there's a lot of value. Um, my, uh, my grandma, she, um, just a godly lady. Um, in fact, my grandpa calls and leaves a message for me yesterday. Um, he's in his 80s, and he just, uh, it was like a 45-second message, and he said, Jonathan just was, uh, um, wanted to pray for you, and he just prays this prayer. I'll probably save it on my phone forever. Um, just prays for the anointing of God. He's like, I know you've got services this weekend. I just wanted to pray that God would just bless you and anoint you. And Isn't that cool? So I just, uh, not everybody has that type of a grandparents, and I am just so blessed to have grandparents like that. Grandma, um, all growing up, when we, we'd have a question, and we'd say, you know, Grandma, whatever, and she'd say this, well, what does the Bible say? She'd always just say that. I mean, uh, uh, growing up, uh, any question, well, what's the Bible say? And, and so you and I could debate it. We could, we could have our disagreements. We could do all that. And we can have opinions and all of that. And grandma would just say, well, well what's the Bible say? Right? So there's uh, one of the reasons I like just walking through uh, a book of the Bible is because then we can answer that question. Well, what's the Bible say? And it'll be interesting because we will come across scriptures and we'll come across thoughts. And I guarantee you, because I did it this week as I was reading, I didn't know that was there. Oh my goodness, I didn't realize that was, I didn't realize he said it that way. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't because there, sometimes we just get comfortable in hearing from the preacher or we'll get comfortable from just uh, the things that have been passed down. And there's so much value in just opening up the Bible and saying, okay, God, speak to me, right? So that's, that's part of the reason. But why 1 Corinthians? Um, one is I thought it'd be really encouraging to, to walk through 1 Corinthians because the Corinthian church was such a dysfunctional church. And I always think that um, it, it's nice to talk about other churches that are way more dysfunctional than ours. And then we can be like, oh, thank God. We're just, we're not, at least we're not them, right? You know, so First Corinthians, I mean, it was, we're, we're going to get into it. They were so, so dysfunctional. And there were people in that church, um, <clears throat> probably like me, that were so, so dysfunctional. I mean, and you just, you read it and you're just like, oh my goodness, how did this even make it in the Bible? Like, how could this church even, it, it was, it, and so, I, so one, could we just like be encouraged by the fact we just look and we're like, well, at least we're not like that, right? Could we just, uh, right, okay. But here's the other part. There's a lot as we study um, a church in the Bible, as we study a church, there's a lot that we can relate to actually. You may not be the extreme. We're going to talk about some extremes here in a second. I mean, there is some crazy stuff happening in this church. You may not be on that extreme, but at some level you can say, you know what? Man, um, I could see myself attending that church in, at some level, being dysfunctional like that person or that, those people. And, and so I want you to see that because as we walk through for weeks and weeks, as we walk through this, you're going to start to see what God sees about you. You're going to start to see that there's freedom. You're going to start to see that you're empowered, that you weren't just designed to just be, uh, to sit in a seat and come each Sunday, but you were designed to be a, a powerful part of God's kingdom and God's church, that he's got so much in store for you. And watch, if God can do it in this church, he can do it in ours. If God can do it in those people, man, he can do it in you. Isn't that pretty cool? Here's... Um, Here's just the main thought for today. We're only going to be in the first nine verses today. Um, 
the main thought is this. If I see myself the way God sees me, it helps me see people the way God sees them. If I see myself the way God sees me, it helps me see people the way God sees them. It's a big deal. First Corinthians. Um, I want to give you some, some background. Corinth was a, it was an actual city um, in, in Bible times, and it was located on an isthmus. I had to actually look up uh, what an isthmus was. Um, so if you're like, man, I know what an isthmus was, you're smarter than me, and you should be up here. Um, I was like, an isthmus? So it's, it's this little strip of land um, that kind of separates two bodies of water and connects two other pieces of land. And uh, so the, Corinth was, was located right on this isthmus between Greece and then, I, I should have wrote it down, it's, uh, it's like, it starts with a P, the, this peninsula that started with a P. And so that's where it was located. And actually ships would come in to Corinth, and Corinth was like um, modern day New York, Las Vegas, um, uh, Los Angeles. It was about the size of Omaha, but, but with the culture of like New York City and Las Vegas. Uh, that, was, that was Corinth. And ships, there was a trading, uh, it was a lot of trading going on. A lot of, it was a bustling city. Ships would come in and instead of sailing around, which was dangerous, they actually had this thing at the, at the skinniest part of this isthmus. They would, um, they had these carts and they would take the ships across these carts all the way to the other side so they wouldn't have to sail around which is kind of a cool thing that they had. Um, but if the ship was too big, then they would take all of the cargo off and they would put it on these, on these carts and they, would, and they would take it to the other side and then it would pick it up at another ship. Corinth was, was bustling. It was, it was amazing um, what was happening there. It would be like a Southern California city. And um, I mean, everybody, you know, it had the reputation. This is what the reputation was though um, for the reckless pursuit of pleasure was what the, was what the Corinth... Um, city was like. Um, There was a rich ethnic mix. Um, There was a center for sports and government and military and business, Um, just like many of the places that we would know today. Uh, There was all kinds. It was a a city that believed in many gods, um, polytheism, many, many gods. And they had temples set up for all of these uh, gods. Maybe you've heard of gods like Athena or Apollo or Poseidon and many, many, many more. There was one god, though, um, they had a, a temple, and it was a temple in honor um, of the, the god, the Corinthian Aphrodite. And, and this, was a, this was a sexual god, and there were more than a thousand female prostitutes and priestesses that would, uh, that would serve this god there in this, in this city. So you already see, like, uh, man, th- this whole city was influenced by pagan rituals and pagan gods, and you would see all these temples set up, and, and, and then it was a, a bustling city, sexual perversion, all kinds of just craziness, business, money, whatever would bring pleasure. The, um, there's a, a commentator named Leon Morris, and he described it as, uh, Corinth, as intellectually alert, materially prosperous, but morally corrupt. Um, there, was a, there was a term, I didn't know how to pronounce it, so I didn't um, include it in my notes. But there was a, there was a word, there was a term in, uh, back in, in the days of Corinth, and it meant this. It meant to live as a Corinthian, is what the term meant. And what that meant was this, to be sexually out of control. Anybody just feeling like warm, warm fuzzies right now as we're getting ready? Like this, is, this was that city that they were in. So they would say this word, and the word meant to live like a Corinthian, and it meant to 
when people heard that, oh, oh, to be sexually out of control. That's what, that's what the word meant. To live like a Corinthian. And so the, the question that comes up as we're looking at this church, but even as we're looking at ours and other churches around the city and our nation is this, is, um, is the church influencing the city or is the city influencing the church? Right? Is, is the church influencing the city and the surrounding area or is the city influencing the church? And I'll tell you what, uh, um, Corinth, the church in Corinth, they were failing miserably at this. Uh, about four years prior, um, the Apostle Paul had come and he had planted this church with a team and, and he had been there for probably about 18 months and, and there were a lot of good things, a lot of good leaders and all of that in, in the church. And somewhere along the line, the city was influencing the church more than the church influencing the city. And there were all kinds of incredible problems that I'm going to share about here in just a minute. Um, but that was the tension the church faced then. That's the tension that the church faces today. Is, is the influence of, of, of the city. Are we the, are we the ones that are countercultural or are we the ones that are, that are in the face of culture we say, um, well, what's the Bible say? In the face of, of culture, in the face of all of these things that the world's throwing at us and we see on the news and we see in the city, are we the ones that are just gonna say, you know what? Well, what's the Bible say? And to stand firm and to, and to believe what the Bible says and to, believe the Lord. So this church, um, Paul actually, he's, he's writing this letter. This is 1 Corinthians. It was actually the second letter. I don't know if you knew this, but um, 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter to this church. We don't have the first one, so this got the title first, and then the 2 Corinthians got the title second. Um, but there's, this was actually the second letter, and you'll find that out later as we study it. So um, Paul has relationship with this church, and he has relationship with some of the leaders at this church, and he had gotten a report. This, this letter is in response to two things. First of all, there was a small group of leaders. Um, there was a lady named Chloe, and her small group, her connect group, was really, really, really concerned because there was some crazy stuff happening at this church, and I'm going to tell you about it here in a second. And, and their small group says, man, we've got to let somebody know because we, this can't go on. And so they, they called up Paul. Well, they probably didn't call him up, but what they, 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 they sent some, some people to Paul or they sent a report. And so part, the first half of this letter is uh, Paul hearing this report from Chloe's household about all of the crazy stuff that's happening in this church. The second part of this letter that we'll find out in a few weeks and months is um, the Corinthian church sending a letter to Paul and asking him practical questions about marriage and divorce and uh, sexual immorality and um, all kinds of, you know, should we have, uh, um, should we sue other believers? And, you know, just, just, you know, normal stuff, you know? And, and so Paul's answering all this. So we're just going to head into it and see what God has to say. I want to tell you just a little bit, just if you were just wondering, just a little bit about what was happening at this church. They're in the midst of this city. You can, under, you can imagine the influence that this city has on this church. There was... Um, division and disunity. In fact, Chloe's household, they, they, that was one of the first things they tell Paul, is there is incredible division and disunity in this church. In fact, so much so, so that there was, a, they use the word factions. There's factions. A faction is a small group of people in, a, in the midst of a larger group that their goal in mind is to cause dissension and division and disunity. And so they're like, hey, guess I just want, I thought you should know, Paul, 
that there is like there's some major stuff going on and there's there's factions there's even factions rising up there was false teaching there was the worship of angels let me just say anyone know that's not a good idea to worship angels you worship jesus angels serve with us and there's ministering spirits that that help you we don't worship angels that they were they were doing that um there was a a, a pagan mindset that was influencing the church. In, in fact, uh, do you guys ever remember um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 um, where there's all of these Holy Spirit gifts? Um, the, that You could read it and we'll get to it at, at some point in the future. It's chapter 12. So what is that, like five months from now? I don't, I'm not sure. But the, the 1 Corinthians 12, the, those gifts, do you want to know why? Paul in that chapter, he says, he says there's, there's all of these gifts. There were nine that he mentions there. He says, there's all of these gifts, but he says, but there was one spirit. One Lord. You want to know why he said that? Because this pagan mindset was influencing, and it would not have been, um, it, it, would have been, it would have been common for those people in that church to associate a different God with each gift. There was the God of healing. There was the God of knowledge. There was the God of wisdom. There was the, there was the, the, the God of prophecy. There was like, like all of the, and so he's like, hey, I just, just want to make sure we're clear here. There's one God, and there's different gifts. There's, there's one Lord. There's one Spirit. Uh, I just want to make sure you guys are all aware. Now, we, uh, we're, we understand that, but they're coming, they're, that culture was so pervasive. And so in the midst of that, and so they had this pagan mindset. Here's the one thing. I, I, we, we probably don't have this going on, but watch this. He's, he, Paul addresses an issue. There was a man who was sleeping with his stepmom. And... And every, everybody was tolerating it and not, and not holding him accountable. And so, the, so they, that sin was just going on in the church. Um, there, was a, uh, there was all kinds of other immorality. There was a tolerance of sexual immorality, even prostitution. And, and there was lawsuits between believers. There was all, this is, anybody got warm fuzzies yet? Like this is, this is good stuff. This is good, it's just getting good. Let's start off with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by, uh, by God's will. And so things are our brother. Um, <clears throat> I just want to start here. And uh, first of all, Paul called as an apostle. Um, in the, in the, uh, the Passion Translation, it says this, divinely appointed according to the plan of God to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Um, apostle, sometimes we just breeze by this, but it's really important for us to understand. Um, we just hear these titles. It was common back then to hear the word apostle, to hear the word prophet, and in fact, later on, in, well, in Ephesians, and then later on in, in Corinthians, we're going to start to see um, that there's a, um, a, what we call the fivefold ministry, that there's apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, and it was, it was common for them to understand that today, someone, if I, for instance, if I were to come up to you and I say, hey, Becky Jones, uh, my name is uh, Apostle Jonathan, um, that at, at some level, you might say, well, well that's kind of weird. I was just kind of weird that he said that, um, and uh, on the extreme, you might say, I'm never coming back here again, right? <laughs> Because we have a connotation uh, when we hear words like this, that we're like, oh, they, he, he must be prideful. Oh, he, he's, he's just uh, doing uh, titles. Titles must be a big deal to him. You know, the, the business card that has all of these titles, you know, and you know, this must be a big deal. I guess he's a, a titles person. Um, but then we also have these ideas, oh, you're one of those. 
you know, and, and so uh, apostle and prophet and all this. Well, so I wanted to, to explain this. Um, in Ephesians 5, Paul says uh, about the fivefold, he says this, that they are actually Christ's gifts to the church. Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. He's like, Jesus is like, here's my gift. Here's these people, these five types of people. They're actually Christ's gifts to the church. And you want to know what the role of them is? You want to know the main function? There's all kinds of things. that You want to know the main function of those five? The Bible says this. The main function is for them to equip the body of Christ for the works of service. Isn't that interesting? So if you were to just break it down individually, like the pastor should be um, creating more people that are pastoral. The teacher should be creating more people that understand the word and know how to teach. The evangelist should be, the primary goal would be to, to make sure that other people around them know how to evangelize. The, the prophet should be equipping the body of Christ to know how to prophesy. Well, what should the apostle be doing? Well, the apostle, it came from a, from a term in that culture, Greek word apostolos. And when Jesus was first coining this, he would have known, all of his hearers would have known that there was an apostleship an actual ship. There was, there was the, the apostolos, and it would go ahead of all of the ships into another culture, whether it be Rome, whether it be Greece. The, this this uh, entourage of people, their main goal was this, to take the culture of Rome and supplant that into this other place that they are conquering. They're taking the culture of this environment, and they are making sure that when they go into that place, after they're done with it, that anybody that comes to that new city, that new um, country, they would they would walk into that place and be oh it's just like Rome oh 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 it's it's just like Greece it's just like uh, because they took the apostleship would go into that place and they are the sent ones that's the other definition is the sent ones an apostle would be the sent one who do you think um, is sending these people well Jesus he's like you're my sent ones Paul would be his sent one and it's more than just a missionary it's more than just a church planner it's more than just somebody it's somebody in Jesus mind it was somebody when he said hey this is how you should play, pray my kingdom your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven he was saying I want you to take the culture just as it is in heaven the blueprint of heaven just as it is in heaven I want you to take that into everywhere you go and so you may not be um, the office of an apostle, but every one of us should be apostolic. Every one of us should be apostolic. We should all have that mindset. I am taking the kingdom of heaven, and wherever I go, my, my goal at my workplace, my goal in my family, my goal wherever I'm at, is to supplant the culture and kingdom of heaven in this place so that it looks just like heaven when people come to visit. Isn't that interesting? Oh man, we're just barely in the first verse. Paul called as an apostle. Uh, verse two, to the church of God at Corinth. Now this is really interesting. Um, the word church, when you and I hear the word church, we, uh, we have all of these ideas that pop into our head right now. Uh, first of all, you're gonna think of, of the churches in this city. You're gonna think, man, there's like, like Church Alley all the way down uh, 39th. And like you, this church and a couple blocks over, you got this church and you got that church and, and all over the, the city and the surrounding areas. How many churches are there around and, and this and this flavor? It's like Baskin Robbins, there's 31 flavors at least. And, and we've we got all of these churches and you probably grew up in this flavor of church and then you ended up in this flavor of church and we've got all of these churches all these churches but they didn't have that problem back then because it was the church of Corinth 
It was, it was, there was one church. There wasn't, there wasn't all of these different flavors. There was one flavor. It was God's church to the church of God. The, the word church actually wasn't even a spiritual term. It, it, was, a, it was a secular, non-religious term. Um, it came from the Greek called um, uh, ecclesia. Ecclesia, sorry. It came from the Greek term ecclesia. And it simply meant, here, r- real spiritual, a gathering of people. That was it. And so the, the ecclesia, the gathering or the assembling of people, they would come together, the ecclesia, the non-spiritual ecclesia would come together in a city. Those citizens would come together and they would talk about city things and, and, uh, and they would make decisions and they would discuss and they would do this. So there was an ecclesia. And so Paul is saying, hey, here's a gathering, but it's not a world gathering. This is God's gathering. And we think of buildings and we think of all of these different things and we think of church. Man, I had a bad experience in church, right? Or, man, I went to a great church or, you know, whatever. Did you go to church on your vacation? You know, and, man, they just didn't think like that. They thought, no, this is just all church is, is a gathering of God's people in one place. And so he calls it the church of God in Corinth. And then he says this, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called as saints with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Just wanted to know if anybody caught that as you were reading it. Do you remember what I just told you about Corinth? And, and this church, the most dysfunctional church that you could ever imagine? All of the sin stuff that was taking place, all of the the crazy things that they were tolerating, all of this stuff. And Paul opens up his letter to this church and he says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints. Like, Paul, hello. Did you not hear what Chloe's household just told you? This would be that church that okay, there's a spectrum of of like safe churches and crazy churches, and and like for instance, like like Christianity light. Have you ever been to a Christianity light church, or have you ever been to a Holy Spirit light church? You know, and and so there's this spectrum, and but then there is not just a Holy Spirit light. Then there would be like full gospel believing, like God can still do today what He did back then. Anyone believe that? Right, like, like the, we we believe in in the gospel of salvation. We believe Holy Spirit baptism. We believe like like full empowerment. Like what happened back then happens today. Like we're all in. I would say that that would be this church. And then there's churches that are like right on the edge, where we're the jury's still out because they're tolerating some things in their church that we're just what is going on. And, and this would, and I'm not, talk, I'm, I'm not talking about like Holy Spirit, uh, anything that would be weird. Like I, I'm comfortable with most everything weird. I'm, I'm just, I'm, whatever. I'm not talking about that. But there's some churches on the edge. Maybe they're like Corinth. And we would be telling our children, don't go to that youth group. We would be telling our friends, don't go to that church. You don't want to be influenced by the, the church of Corinth. And Paul is looking at this, this church and he's saying, you're sanctified in Christ Jesus. You're called as saints. Man, incredible. 
I like that the Passion Translation says it this way. It says, for you have been made pure and set apart in the anointed one, Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 3, the Apostle Paul. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a really, it's an interesting thing. He says this in, in a lot of his letters that, that Paul would wrote. He would say, grace and peace to you and all of this. Um, but we breeze by it. There is so much power in those two words, grace and peace. Uh, and back then, he would have, it would have carried weight when the hearers would have heard this. Today, we just think, oh, this is just a salutation. This is just a greeting. This is just whatever. And, and, and to Paul and to the hearers, there was power here. Grace. The, the word grace, he's, he's, he's meaning some things here when he says this. Um, that, that, uh, uh, I'm sorry, just lost my place. Watch this in, in the Passion Translation. It says, may joyous grace and endless peace be yours continually from our Father God. That Greek word for grace is this. It's the word charis. And it carries this sense. There was a, there's a few things about it. First of all, it was, a, um, it was descriptive of that which brings, brings pleasure and joy to the human heart. There was an emotion attached. When he would say grace, there was an emotion attached to that word that where he is saying, may this bring pleasure May this bring uh, peace. May, th- may there be an emotion. As you hear this, he was, he was expressing emotion. And this is what the definition would mean. There, there'd be a two-part. One, it would be um, divine favor. In other words, I like the, 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 you've heard of grace and mercy. I like this. Uh, mercy is um, not getting what you deserve. How many know that sometimes as parents, we do that? Like, you deserve, but you're not getting. So I'm giving you mercy. I'm just like God today, right? Right? You're giving them mercy. Right? Not getting what they deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's this divine favor. It's this supernatural favor from God that not only do you get the mercy of God of not getting what you deserve, you get this divine favor that says, that says you are actually going to get things that you don't deserve. Like this is like this incredible. It's like, I don't even deserve this. You're right, but you get it. It's free. It's free. And, and so not only divine favor, but it's also divine empowerment. When, later when we get to 1 Corinthians 12, all of those gifts, that, that when it talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that word gift, it's the same word, charis. It, it means divine empowerment. So you being able to function as a man or woman of God in the kingdom of God, not only the favor on your life, but the power of the Holy Spirit in you, it's all grace. There's the, he is expressing to this church, he's saying, I uh, I want to just declare grace over you. I want it to be so powerful that as you hear this, there's this uh, emotion um, of pleasure that comes over you that you're, you're actually not hearing this from me, but you're hearing this from the Father. There is an incredible grace. I want you to understand this grace, this grace that empowers you, this grace that sets you apart, this grace that gives you like this, this love. Like I know that you're caught up in what you're caught up in right now, but I want you before I get to all of that, before I get to all, man, there's a whole letter, 1 Corinthians 16 chapters. Before I get to all of that, that you're not doing well, I want you to know, like, there is an immense love and passion of grace that God has for you. And peace. And, it, and it's this peace, yeah, it's like, and peace. But peace, like, it, when, when Paul, who is, who is a Jew, when he would say peace, he would say the word shalom, and that word peace Peace, it, it meant more than just absence of conflict. 
it meant like it meant favor, it meant financial blessing, it meant everything that's broken and everything that's dysfunctional. Like here's God's power to make it all right. It, there was so much in in that word peace and in that word grace. This wasn't just a Paul just kind of penning it. He was releasing a declaration of power and love and peace and favor and and prosperity over these people. It's incredible. And then we get to verse four. And I think Paul could have just stopped at verse three and then just spanked them because there was some stuff that they needed spankings over. And Paul says this, he goes on and he says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. The Passion Translation says, I am always thanking my God for you because he has given you such free and open access to his grace through your union with Jesus. I, can we just pause for a second? Paul, even after he hears from Chloe, even after this report, even after all of this stuff, he so, tells them, I am always thanking my God for you. Like, you're a big deal. Like, when I think about you, church in Corinth, I'm just like, oh, thank, thank you, God, for the church in Corinth. Thank you for those people. Every time Paul prays, every time the church of Corinth crosses his mind, he's like, God, thanks. Thanks for that church. Thanks for that church that you set up. Thanks for those people. Man, they're such good people. I just thank you for them. Isn't that interesting? It goes on in verse five. This is why he thanks God for them. Because Verse five, that you were enriched in him in every way. In every way. In all speech and all knowledge. He's specifically here in verse five, he's, he's referencing, when we get to chapter 12, he's referencing the supernatural gifts of, of knowledge and prophecy and wisdom and, and the gift of teaching and preaching. He's saying you've been enriched in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. What? The testimony of Christ has been confirmed among you. We're talking about the crazy church. And Paul is thinking about them through the Father's eyes. And he's saying, the testimony of Christ has been confirmed among you. Verse 7, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus. Verse 8, he says, he will also strengthen you to the end. He, now he's starting to prophesy over this church. Before he starts to get into the meat, he's starting to prophesy over them. And he says, he will strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless. Man, I'm thinking about this. There's a lot that we don't know and don't understand. But what I, I started understanding as I was just meditating on this is that Paul could have started off the first verse with, get your act together. He could have started off with the first verse about the whole list that I read to you of everything that they're doing wrong and all of the junk that's in their church. And somehow in the wisdom of God, God, dis, uh, Paul, uh, God through Paul decided, you know what? I'm gonna tell you who you are first before I tell you who you're not. He, he started pulling out the gold. I wanna tell you two things that we pull from this. One is um, how God sees us. God does not see you as 
sinners, he sees you as pure and holy and righteous. That's how he sees you. How many know that, that Paul's about ready to get to um, needing to correct them? There's some major correction, major correction that's going to happen. Uh, but he sees them through God's eyes. Uh, uh, no matter what we've done or haven't done, we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. It, it was while we were still sinners that Christ died. He, he, he looked at you and he saw the gold and, and he saw who you really are and he, saw, he thought, you know what, I'm going to save them. And as long as you reach out to him and take that free gift of salvation, man, like, uh, there's a value statement here. Do you know that, that Christ's image, God's image is in all of us, even if you're not saved? There's a, even if you're not saved, God's image is in you. We, we see that in, in Genesis chapter 1. There is value, immense value that each of you have. Uh, it, th- that value doesn't get you to heaven, but it makes you worth saving. It means that you are separated from every other creation on the face of this earth. You are, you are, you are separate. You are value, uh, valuable. Um, this, is, this is why like the, the Todd Becker Foundation goes out each week is because there is value all over. There are people that are worth saving because God's image is in them. It doesn't make them, uh, you don't get to go to heaven just because you're valuable. But Paul looks at this church and says, man, I see you through, Christ, through God's eyes. I see you through the Father's eyes. He, the, the Father sees us as sanctified made pure, set apart. He sees us through the lens of, I love that, joyous grace and endless peace. He sees us enriched in him in every way, not lacking any spiritual gift and, and blameless. <laughs> I love that. Here, I want to close with um, about just 30 more minutes. <laughs> how we see people. This is the big deal right here. We we need to understand how God sees us so that we can see people the same way. Paul, Paul starts out telling them who they are instead of who they aren't. He calls out the gold first instead of pointing out all the junk. He tells them how God sees them in order for this to call them to a higher level in the rest of the chapter. He, he wants, like, this is who you really are? You're not all of that? Wait a minute. Like, four years ago when I, when I came and we, we planted this church, like, wait a minute, could, you, could I remind you of who you really are? Like, this stuff that you're doing, that's not who you are. This is who you really are. And he starts to call the gold out of them and call them to the next level. He's reminding them of their greatness and how God sees them. He, he doesn't ignore their sin, but he's not motivated by their sin. And that's a big deal. Like, he doesn't ignore it, but he's not motivated by it. He's like, that's not who you really are. I feel like we need to be challenged in this way. Uh, like Paul. When was the last time the, 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 the people that, that were hard to be around, the, the people that you know that they've got this in their life and that in their life and all of this, and when was the last time whether you, maybe you came to church or the people that you know out there where you were just, every time I think of them, I thank God for them. <laughs> yeah, really, Paul? Every time I think of them, I thank God for them. He wrote these first nine verses after that report from Chloe's house, and we see that God was looking at this church, these people, 
through God's eyes first. It's, isn't it so easy to see the negative first? Man, isn't it so easy? Like, like we hear the bad report. We, the, the, you know what's going on. It could, be, it could be 95% good, but we see the 5% negative, like, whether it be in a person or just in life. That's why uh, the news channels make so much money is because it's so easy to focus on the negative first. Correction needs to come out of right motives and seeing people the way God sees them or we don't have any business correcting. I like it this way. We don't have a place to speak into the sin and wrong living if we don't first see people the way God sees them. This is, this is it. Matthew chapter 7 uh, Jesus is talking and he says, he says you, don't, you don't have a business like uh, taking that speck out of someone else's eye until you first, what? Take the plank out of your own eye. And I'm like, well, how do we, how do we see people the way God sees people? There, there, there's, there's two just real simple things. First of all, I need to take the, the plank out of my own eye so that I can see clearly to take the speck that little tiny speck of salt. In other words, there is so much more in me that needs to be taken care of than in you. Jesus is saying, like, the big deal first is you. If, if I want to see people the way God sees them, man, I need to say, God, would you heal me? Would you free me? Would you forgive me? Like, like I, I know that I have a tendency to think it's all about them and all of their issue, but God, would you point out, man, what is the part in this whole thing that is me? This is my issue. And to the degree that you allow God to take that plank out of your eye, now all of a sudden I can see clearly. Matthew 22, right at the end of that, Jesus is talking to some religious people. One says, teacher, which, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor how? As yourself. In other words, to the degree that you love yourself will be the degree that you love others. And this is that part. Some of us have a hard time with other people because we actually have a hard time with ourselves. And this is where Paul starts. He's like, I want you to understand how God sees you. I want you to, to, to push pause on all of these other thoughts about yourself and all the failure and all of this stuff. I want you to understand how God sees you because as you start to understand how God sees you and you start to actually love you, then you'll be able to love others as you love yourself. And he opens up the whole series this way for Pastor Jonathan. First nine verses of the Bible. Next week, we'll, get it, we'll start to get into some of the stuff, some of the junk. But man, the first part, these first nine verses, would you see God the way God sees you? And then from that place, would you start to see others the way God sees them? Let's bow our hearts as uh, Pastor Kelly comes. I think um, there's many ways that God could be uh, ministering to us this morning. Uh, you may be in here and you just say, man, Pastor Jonathan, I, I have struggled for a long time of seeing, seeing myself the way God sees me. 
And I would just encourage you in a few minutes when we, when, as they're singing, maybe, uh, maybe you just need to come forward and have someone pray with you and just, just say, man, I just, want to, I just want to see myself the way God sees me. Let someone encourage you and prophesy over you and agree with his heart over your life. And some of you, you might be just, just you know what? I'm struggling seeing other people the way God sees them. And I would encourage you to sit in your chair or kneel on the altar and not leave this room until you can see people the way God sees them. Let's stand together this morning. Lord, all over this place, would you give us your heart? Would you help us see the gold? Help us see the gold in ourselves and help us see the gold in other people. Jesus. Jesus. You're so good. And God loves you so much. God loves you so much. He he thinks about you all the time. If he had a wallet, your picture would be in it. He's always thinking about you. He always sees the greatness and the gold in you. Somebody in this room, you just needed to hear that today, that God actually likes you. You say, it's easy to, to know that God loves me, but did you know that God likes you? He likes you. He actually likes you. He likes spending time with you. He likes being around you. Yes, he loves you, but he likes you. Lord, I come into agreement with healing, just emotional heart healing over this room right now. Lord, freedom of every stronghold. Jesus, that you would go to the deep places. If you're needing prayer in this place for anything, um, our prayer teams will be up here. We're going to worship in just a minute. I'll just release you. But let the Lord heal and free your heart this morning.